Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop shop for all things pop culture. I am Ricardo Salgado. I'm Garrett Strother. And I'm Seamus Connolly, who actually remembers the wording of the intro, Ricardo. Oh, I don't do this that often, whatever. <laughs> I'm just... Tonight we're talking train, but first, let's dive into some news. First of all, CBS All Access is no more, boys. Coming in early 2021... It's going to change its name to Paramount Plus. Oh. Uh, okay. okay. I mean, I can only assume <laughs> this will go the way of the fabled Paramount Network that was, I mean, maybe still around? It's certainly a worse name than CBS All Access. But the thing about CBS All Access is, and we'll talk about this more when we eventually do our Battle of the Streaming Services episode, CBS All Access is not All Access. They have almost no backlog from CBS shows. They have more CBS shows on Hulu than they do on CBS All Access. So what are they going to have on this new thing? This new Paramount thing? I'm assuming they're what going to skew it... on the original, it... honestly? Yeah, I, I'm assuming they're going to skew it more towards original content, things like Star Trek Discovery and Picard, which they already have, and feature more Paramount movies. Because we had CBS All Access for, like, the free month that they gave away at the beginning of Quarantine. And then every time we went to cancel, they would say, here's another free month. So we've oh. had it for like six months, and then we finally got rid of it. It's just not a good streaming service. But over that time, they did add a lot more Paramount movies. So they've kind of been seemingly planning for this transition of content. I mean, you know, I wish them well. Hopefully they can have enough between the other, like, four services I even have at this point. I mean, I couldn't see myself jumping on another streaming service, even if it is for Paramount stuff. Like you said, a lot of the things that we're even looking for in that category are found on any of the other million of uh, streaming services already. So, To be honest, I kind of hope they fold just so their originals go to Hulu so I don't have to get <laughs> CBS All Access when I want to watch Picard. I got the free trial ones because I wanted to watch an episode of the Stephen Colbert show that John Oliver was on. And then I forgot about the free trial, and I got charged. So That's how oh. CBS gets you. They want you to I... forget it even exists. That's the only reason that All Access made it as far as it did, is people forgetting when they didn't get their extra free month, Garrett. A streaming service so underwhelming, you just forget to cancel it. Up next, we finally have some She-Hulk casting news. This show has been in the works for a long time, but they have officially announced it's going to be Tatiana Maslany who is the main character from the series Orphan Black, going to be playing She-Hulk in the Disney Plus series. Yeah, I got no qualms with that. Sounds good for her. Sounds good. Yeah, I've heard nothing it's... but really good things about Orphan Black in general, so, I mean, let's do it. I don't know much about She-Hulk either, so I'm sure I'll be intrigued no matter what they, uh, no matter what they produce here. It sounds good to me. I don't think there's much to talk about. I'm excited to see concept art or a trailer or whatever yeah you know. we'll return to this once there's more anything to work with here speaking of marvel black widow has been delayed indefinitely oh i actually uh-oh it's not an uh-oh it's a tenant's not doing well at the box office so every major studio is moving their tent poles further away so they don't lose money on them it was originally supposed to come out november 8th but they've taken it off of that slot and have not announced another release date. Probably really smart. As far as I know, I don't think the Mulan $30 premium access did super well for Disney Plus as a release model anyway. So uh, I'm hoping that this movie doesn't get just totally buried in a release that's going to be underwhelming or like impossible to get to like right now with us three like very much avoiding theaters. I'm really glad that Marvel decided to push this because I do think that for a lot of average moviegoers, the people that go to three movies a year, a Marvel movie is something that would actually entice audiences back to theaters mm. in a way that, like, Tenet or The New Mutants isn't going to. I think you're right. I think... I uh, yeah, same. Like you said, like, even if they released Mulan in more theaters, I feel like that would have maybe done the same in a lot of ways as it has released digitally. Next up, Xbox has released a couple of looks at some of their new features. Their big campaign for the Series S and the Series X is more gaming, less waiting. 
and they've released a couple of videos showing how seamlessly you can switch back and forth between games. It takes like two seconds Ooh. to go from playing Jedi Fallen Order to playing Forza. Wow. And you know, that that was kind of a rumor that it was floating around a lot with the emergence of the solid state drive in these new consoles that they're using for the just raw processing power and there was some comparison that was like, yeah, switch between games and applications as you would like switching between Netflix shows and it's kind of hard to imagine, but like seeing it being done is like kind of wild. It, it is totally getting me geared up for the next gen. It looks pretty impressive. I'm hoping PlayStation has a similar thing. I'm assuming that they'll do more tech showcases coming up in the next few weeks as we're leading up to its release, which segues us right into our next bigger piece of news, the PlayStation Showcase that was last Wednesday. Oh my gosh, yeah, we right. haven't talked new about announcements, this announcements, some new games. New a lot of things. Well, right off the bat, let's talk about the big news, the stuff that everybody was waiting for, and I think pretty much everybody had it pegged. It's going to be a $500 price point for the digital edition, a $400 price point. That's launching November 12th, just a couple weeks before Thanksgiving, so presumably there will be big Black Friday deals. Very similar to the Xbox, with the exception of the Series S, which is the digital edition Xbox, is a full $100 cheaper than the PlayStation digital edition. So it'll be interesting to see how those two compete. I don't, I don't like the fact that there are two of them. Just for some reason, that gets under my skin a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't hate that. I am a poor boy. I do not shy away from talking about that on this show. And some people aren't like me who have a physical backlog of PS4 games that will be playable on the disk drive version of this. So it doesn't bother me too much. I, I think it'd be probably a lot quieter than the disk drive one is going to be considering my PS4 sounds like a rocket ship when it when it is starting up now. I mean, it's old <laughs> as hell, but I mean, it is still still working hard. I wish the PlayStations were maybe a little more competitively priced compared to the Xbox, but what am I going to do there? I'm just going to have to bite the bullet on something like that. The fact that they're so close in price actually makes the decision, I think, to buy the full disc version easier because for only $100 less you're definitely going to spend more than $100 exclusively buying digital editions and not buying used games. Oh yeah, for sure. Now, they did announce some things that would make it easier for the digital edition to not have to maybe buy as many used games. The PlayStation Plus Collection. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. That was that was pretty cool. For those of you who didn't watch, the PlayStation Plus Collection is going to be a collection of PlayStation 4 titles. I think it's about 15 are going to be available at launch on the PlayStation 5 with a PlayStation Plus membership completely for free. All you have to do is download them and start playing. And we're talking Last of Us Remastered, God of War 4, Uncharted 4, Resident Evil 7... A ton of great hits on there. I think that's a big draw for people who are trying to decide for the first time between a major console. If, if they see that the PlayStation over the Xbox comes with this big collection of hits, like right off the bat, I feel like that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a huge draw. That's also a way for PlayStation to incentivize buyers to buy the digital edition. Because if they see that they're going to have all of these free games in addition to the PlayStation Plus free games of the month... They're going to go, oh, well, maybe with all these free games to play on digital, I don't necessarily need to buy the disc version so I can buy used. So should we get into a little bit some of the highlights from the trailers that they showed? Yeah, sure. The first big showcase they had was Spider-Man Miles Morales, which we had already seen the announcement trailer for back during the earlier PS4 showcase, but this was a gameplay trailer. And it still looks really slick just like a spider-man ps4 i think it's gonna be more or less like the same kind of gameplay right yeah i agree i think it looks pretty similar to spider-man ps4 i was hoping a little bit that they would show us the ways that it distinguishes itself from the spider-man ps4 gameplay it really does seem kind of samey i mean miles morales is a really interesting character that i'm excited to see more from in the games but the gameplay isn't exactly winning me over and the plot of Roxxon versus the Underground 
doesn't intrigue me that much either. They didn't give us a big villain mm. reveal that excited me. I was a little underwhelmed, to be honest, by the gameplay. Was it, Garrett, you brought up the last time we talked about it, I think that it wasn't going to be as much of a full-length game? Was that you who said that? It was more yes. of a yep. spin-off smaller thing i think it's more of a transitionary game between the ps4 and the ps5 because you know i'm actually in the middle of replaying the ps4 spider-man with my girlfriend kara right now and there are very strategic recognizable characters and elements that are absent that i was expecting to see in this miles morales but maybe more of a tease towards the end of it if anything kind of a stepping stone to the to the first part of this generation is it a launch title with the PS5, or is that getting a later date next yep, year? Yep, it's a launch title with the PS5. Very, very soon then, I guess. What we see is what we're going to get. Maybe maybe they'll surprise us a little more, and maybe it'll... You know, the web-slinging in the PS4 game, at least, is absolutely phenomenal. So, as long as they have that, that's like 30% of a, of a solid Spider-Man game anyway. So, I guess absolutely. we'll give it a shot. Also, a new gameplay trailer for Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. Oh, man. Which looks really bad. Does it? I I haven't been keeping up. I just like the concept of the Cold War era, but I've just seen the CGI Reagan. You play as Ronald Reagan. Yeah, that's that's the only thing I know. Drop off crack in inner city neighborhoods is weird. (laughs) Black Ops. It just looks like every other Call of Duty I was hoping to get a zombies tease because that's the only thing I'm interested in at all from the Call of Duty franchise because the rumor is they're bringing back the classic perk system with Juggernaut oh, and stuff. I thought they did tease out the uh, the zombies at the end of the multiplayer trailer they released a couple days after the PS5 event. I think they did tease it a little bit. I don't know if they, they showed off too much because we would have definitely heard about it. But uh, I don't know. Hopefully we'll get a little more info on that too. They don't really tease out much of the Call of Duty stuff anyway. They kind of just dump it on your lap and uh, expect the fan base to buy, which they ultimately usually do. So maybe we'll get a little more intrigued. 15-year-old boys will always be 15-year-old boys. Whatever the Call of Duty is they're putting out, man. And they did confirm at this event a merciful 30 seconds that Fortnite (laughs) will be available for free at launch on the PS5. Oh, good for the Fortnite players. I don't know. Well, my girlfriend Annie has a Switch, and she's not going to be getting a PlayStation. Okay. And it will be nice because that is something that we can play for free and cross-platform. Oh, that is nice. That is, I do like the inclusion that everybody kind of gets the hop on if they if they have any kind of system, usually. But the big reveal, other than the price and the release date of this PS5 event, was the long-rumored Hogwarts Legacy. That's right! The... role-playing game where you are a Hogwarts student in the early 1800s or late 1800s. It's a weird time to be talking about (laughs) Harry Potter property because of everything going on with J.K. Rowling because she's uh, got brain worms. She's going off the deep end on the social media, but... I do know Avalanche, which is the same game company that worked on Disney Infinity, have publicly denounced all of her comments... So, I know the developers aren't happy about it, but at the same time, she's still going to be getting royalties from this, so it doesn't really matter if the developers denounce it yeah, or not. as sad as that is, I mean, that's almost one of the reasons that I was hesitating to get excited, is because I know that she is, like, somewhat of a public villain with a lot of the things that she's digging her heels into, and I know that she will get all the royalties from all the Harry Potter branded things, but it looks it does good. Look pretty like good. it, lo- it sucks that it looks really good because I've wanted this for a long time. I've really wanted a console game where you're just a student at Hogwarts. Yeah, man. But I'm definitely gonna think twice about buying it because of how hard it is to support the horrible things that she just continues to double down on. Yeah, man. Like I used to play the. Uh... Harry Potter games on the PC when I was a child, like, they were fantastic, and half the fun, obviously, was just, like, exploring the grounds and going through the castles and doing all the fun, miscellaneous RPG-ish things that this game looks like it will excel in in a lot of ways, but, like you said, I might have to, like, wait to buy a used copy secondhand from somebody that I know that the money won't go to the Rowling's pocket. Seamus, it always comes back to the resale market, never forget the is. resale market. It is the most wonderful Disc drives thing. for life. The Mandalorian Season 2 trailer. Oh my god, so much has happened that I keep forgetting we haven't talked about. 
Cool trailer. I mean, it didn't give us very much, but it gave us enough to be excited about. <laughs> it said what they've been saying for so long, which is, we promise you will get more Mandalorian, and it showed us that we will get more Mandalorian, and that's, that's all I need, boys. This trailer is mostly just the Mandalorian walking through landscapes and looking yeah, cool. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And shooting people, shooting lots and lots of people. Oh, we, we get one yep. spectacularly sick quick shot of him on a speeder bike that I love. Very fun speeder chase. Oh yeah, with the with the speeder bikes going oh, off the yes. cliff. Where they've got like really their cool. feet like skidding on the dirt. Very, very fun. A cute little moment where Baby Yoda knows he's in danger, so he closes his own yes. ram. He knows his caretaker is a cold blooded killing Mandalorian. <laughs> it's gonna start talking eventually. So, yeah. We know it's gonna be adorable, but he's gonna say this is the way I... at some point in the show. We're gonna all die. Oh my no, god. No, he's not. No, he's what? not, Seamus. The way oh, this is. Oh, I'm sorry. I might have just peaked oh, my no. microphone. <laughs> Getting excited for that. Our last bit of news is actually related to our own podcast. Boys, we are now on Amazon Music. What up, Amazon Music? They just launched their new podcast streaming service on Amazon Music, and we were part of the first wave of podcasts on that site. Alrighty. It's super easy. We've linked it on Twitter. And it's in our Instagram bio. Or if you've got an Echo at home, you can just tell it to play Pop Culture Reference Podcast and it'll play you our latest episode. Wow. You can ask your Alexa to hear our voices. That's that's the future. Garrett, please send a video of you doing that because it's something I need to see. Oh, yeah. You have one of those things. I'll throw that up on Ooh, Twitter. That's going to be creepy. Ooh, can't wait. All right, let's move on to our pop culture catch-up of the episode, which is going to tie actually directly into our main segment. Our pop culture catch-up is the streaming service, HBO Max. Big shout-out to Ricardo for hooking up the password. What? Love ya. Love it. I have been really impressed with HBO Max. I was a little skeptical as somebody who had HBO off and on over the last several years whenever Game of Thrones was in season. While it's fun to have when you have a specific show, I didn't feel like it was a full-time streaming service, but now that they've launched Max with all of this extra content, it's pretty astounding. Yeah, I felt the same way. I got HBO Max like just for the trial when it came out, and then that one I... I didn't forget about that one. That one I chose. <laughs> that was I purposeful. Guess this is mine now. I have to keep this. There's just so much good content. I kept coming across more and more stuff. Oh, I want to watch this and this and this, and then there's this movie. Yeah, they've got, like you guys said, like consistency in their good titles. I was I was flipping through, just you know, scrolling around, seeing what I'd like to eventually watch. And Ricardo, you touched like they have a great movie selection. Strangely enough, I wouldn't imagine that a lot of the stuff like Game of Thrones or Westworld that I've been bombarded with references about for the last 10 years that I can finally catch up on and it's pretty solid stuff. I was also really impressed with how many classic films that they have. They have a partnership with Turner Classic Movies. So in addition to the newer stuff that you're usually used to HBO having, they also have things like Streetcar Named Desire, Paris, Texas, Out of Africa, older, more classic films in addition to the bigger blockbusters that you're used to. HBO having. I'm impressed with the TV shows that they've brought in, especially from DC Universe. I'm very excited to check out yes, Doom Patrol. Yes, the full, the big merger of all of the DC Universe uh, original programming is moving to HBO Max. I believe they're rebranding DC Universe as a fully comic book based subscription service now. That yeah, makes that's sense. probably what they should have done in the yeah, first place. they're probably going to find a better way to do that there, especially because a, a few of the DC Universe originals are being picked up for continuations through HBO Max now, so I'm excited to get to explore some of that stuff that I've also been hearing about for a while. Two, two different streaming services and one that I never really got to explore too much, so it's a lot of options. My biggest hang-up with the service is the fact that it is unavailable on oh. Roku, and I believe that for a long time it might still be the case that there was not a Fire Stick app because of the terms that HBO was proposing to those streaming platforms. They didn't want to let HBO Max have an app. That is very strange, especially for, you know, Roku being as big as it is. One nice thing, though, is that I found this out. Even though HBO Max doesn't have an app, 
if you log into the regular HBO app, you still get all of the HBO huh. content. So you could do that on Roku. You just can't watch things like all the movies that HBO Max has or all of the TV that's not HBO TV that HBO Max has. But you can watch, you know, Chernobyl, Game of Thrones, Barry, that HBO has produced on your Roku. Still. You just reminded me about Barry and how good it is and how I didn't get past the first season and now i'm extra excited to have access to this hbo max Ooh! not only do they not have like a roku app but their app on like the playstation 4 is hot garbage it is it just straight up doesn't really? work uh, i i it's very janky like i'll try to watch like a tv show it'll play one episode then crash and I have to restart the whole thing if i want to keep watching more episodes wow i was sticking to the mobile version of the hbo max app on my phone for most of this week just because i was out don't, don't give me that face garrett i'm a busy man i'm out and about <laughs> deliver those my sandwiches seamus get him yeah exactly hey don't wrap me out to riley he's gonna come after me <laughs> Wait, you do arrivals now. Oh my god, I have to kill Riley like Highlander? I don't know where I was going. The app on my phone worked very well. I feel like maybe they're dropping off for more strictly tablet and laptop viewing priorities. Before we transition to our main segment, any final thoughts on HBO Max? A lot of good content. Fix your applications. Be good to the people who have Roku's. Now let's talk about an HBO Max original. Infinity Mostly, kind of. What a wild train ride it has been for the last week. This was another Salgado snipe in the animation department. I, I can recall having similar feelings to Over the Garden Wall when first recommended by Ricardo. Because Infinity Train, holy cow, very good stuff, very emotional, very funny, very well made. I was pretty impressed with it. I don't think I'm as impressed with it as Over the Garden Wall. Because Ricardo and I were talking a little bit before the show, while I think season two is immaculate and some of the best animated television I've ever seen, I had some pretty major narrative problems with seasons one and season three. I see. I would like to know more about that. Well, I think after we do our general thoughts, we'll break down the three seasons. Yeah, let's start with like general observations and we'll break it down book by book. It's really well made. The animation is approachable, but still has a very distinct style. I like the tone. I like all the synth, which is part of the thing that you Mm. pitched me on originally. (laughs) It gave me really big Dark Tower vibes. Have you guys read Stephen King's series, The Dark Tower? I know. I, I haven't read it. Yes, our our old high school friend Vinny would not shut up about it for so <laughs> long of high school. So we know we know some of the basics. Well, there's a lot of trains involved in The Dark Tower, but in addition to that, it's all about this weird, almost steampunk colliding of worlds that seem like they don't belong together at all. It's very similar to Infinity Train. I'm going to say it does give me a Stephen King spooky sci-fi vibe to it. Yeah, I I could see where you're coming from there, especially because it kind of takes your guard down at first before you realize how creepy and freaky that it could actually get in some of these uh, episodes. So, yeah, it definitely feels like it's maybe for a younger audience, but definitely burgeoning on a lot of adult, serious uh, themes. Yeah, uh, creator Owen Dennis has said, like, this is more of, like, a teen, young adult aim show rather than, like, the general, like, four kids. A lot of animation right now, and Ricardo can definitely speak to this more than I can because he watches a lot more animation than I do, Mm. but is kind of going for a sweet spot of making content for older audiences that's not crass. Like, it's not for older audiences like South Park is for older audiences. For older audiences in that it has darker themes and adult content in a way that only older people are actually going to be able to process and get the most out of maybe 10 years ago you were seeing the beginnings of things like that with adventure time Mm, um where it was content aimed at children that had more to mine out of it thematically but now you're seeing things like this over the garden wall and even i just read harley quinn got picked up by HBO Max for a third season, the the animated Harley Quinn show, which I hear is really good, but also pretty adult. 
Yeah, oh, that one's exclusively for adults. Kids should not be anywhere near that one. But yeah, yeah, I it was, has I was... been on that road kind of since like 2010 Adventure Time, where it's like creators are given more freedom to actually like tell a story or do what they want to do with their show instead of having like studio restrictions. Like, no, you have to do this because you have to appeal to this demographic. I like seeing smart creative people given the opportunity to do whatever weird crap they want to do and infinity trains the kind of show that can only be made right now in this like golden age of all these different streaming services where animation is moving towards being more of a mainstream adult medium that an independent creator wouldn't be able to make something as impressive as this with this kind of scope I agree with a lot of the things you're saying with its success and what it's actually trying to accomplish, especially considering that these very packed, packed episodes are 11 minutes max. I hate to use quibby language, but it's very bite-sized content that it's like as easy and enjoyable to consume content-wise as it is literally easy to just watch an episode here or there and feel all of these emotions that they're putting into this story within 10 minutes at a time. I think it's definitely something I would recommend to people that have access to it and interest in trying something new like this. The first season is a little wobbly and might make some people want to stop at some places, but also with how short it is with 10 minute episodes and the seasons ending up being what, just over two hours? Something like that. Not even two hours sometimes. So it's definitely worth going through if you think that there's any chance that you'll like it, I think it's worth getting to the second season, which is where I think this show really flourishes. There's a lot of things on HBO Max. Make some time to watch Infinity Train. I think it's definitely well worth it, even considering the catalog that comes with it on HBO. I think that I will probably end up rewatching it at some point, maybe not like super soon, but I feel like you could, once again, going back to just how digestible it is. Especially since this is in danger of getting cancelled, I think I would definitely recommend that our listeners give it a shot. I was definitely impressed with it and charmed by it. With that said, you guys want to jump into book one? Let's do it. Yeah, let's talk about it. We've got this girl, Tulip, and she really is trying to go to game coding camp. In Oshkosh, Wisconsin. But she's from St. Paul, and... I really appreciated her saying oofta. <laughs> yes. That's something that you have to have spent time in that specific part of the country to know that they say, so that was that was a nice touch. She's a big onion connoisseur for some reason. That's a part of her <laughs> character. I thought that was going to come back, and it absolutely did not. Yeah, no, it's just yeah, a there's, weird there's... character thing. There's a couple yeah, references see... here and there, but I mean, like, ultimately doesn't do much... That's part of the thing that actually, when I started this recorder, I'm not going to lie, when I was on the first episode, I was like, what is this? Because (laughs) they were throwing a lot of quirky character traits at us really fast. And I was like, oh, she's making the guy with the mustache talk. Maybe he's going to be on the infinity train. Oh, she really likes onions. Maybe that'll come back at the end of the season as some kind of, like, set-up, payoff, writing trick. And it was just like, nope, they just are spending a lot of time showing us that she's weird. I will say, she is a character to grow on me. I did like Tulip. But it was just a weird choice for me right off the bat as a viewer going in essentially blind to the show and be like why is all this i, I could see that i come i'm coming from a slightly different perspective because i remember when like the pilot was put out on like youtube before it was greenlit at all and people were just really kind of ravenous it's like because the short started off in the corgi car and that's where a lot of like the intrigue and mystery and what's going on is set up so for me going into it it was kind of built up for me a little bit just because i did see that pilot and it's like well, come on, i need more of this what what happens next I will say the Corgi car is really where I got on board with season one. As somebody else who was kind of going in a little blind, you know, I was a bit distracted by the, you know, the intro a little bit, like you were saying, Garrett, but by the time we do get to the the Corgi car itself and we've been introduced a little bit to the world, I had already kind of forgotten about the special attention that I was putting on this stuff at the beginning. They turn into more of references rather than, like, payoffs in the later episodes. What are you guys' thoughts on uh, 1-1? I love 1-1 of the ones and i really wish the other one would shut up and not be in the show <laughs> well i don't know i thought they complimented each other quite well what about uh randall 
Oh, Randall's the best. Randall's the best loved, character on the whole show. Loved Randall. I w- season four, I know it's not going to be about him. I only want season four <laughs> to be about Randall. Randall should be one of the train companions, if I can push that forward. Well, that's the thing, is that there are a million Randalls. Is exactly. that there's so many Randalls, Seamus. Think of the shenanigans you could have with a Randall that could split off into two Randalls. I loved Atticus, voiced by the great Ernie Hudson. So yeah. I loved it. I love Atticus and his wonderful dog humor. What if Athens, but with corgis? Yeah, it's the best. I mean, we could... we Let's talk about the end of the season. We're doing full spoilers on season one right now, so... Towards the end of the season, when Atticus get blasted, I was horrified by all of that. I was completely mortified by seeing what I saw in that cockroach dog gun. (laughs) Made me sad. God, yeah. The big reveal of the amazingly sound-edited conductor in the first season. Very emotional stuff, too. It was hard to not see a lot of the empathetic strings that they were trying to tug on there especially for such a wacky concept as the infinity train Mm -hmm. oh yeah that was a very well executed reveal garrett i was kind of fully enthralled by the first season i thought that it maybe took a little bit more of a dip in the third season because obviously we kind of ricardo i can only assume you agree to the second season is kind of the peak in this show for me but yeah definitely I don't know. I didn't have very many problems that I can even remember from the first season here. It felt like all of it was just really tied up nice and neat and just like a little bow. And it was like, everything (laughs) is all right now. It didn't feel like there was enough adversity. I mean, not that what Atticus went through isn't horrific, but it seemed like all of their problems were solved a little bit too easily and tied up a little too neatly. And I know that they do foreshadow it, but, like, the idea of, oh, yeah, one one's the conductor. Easy. I can agree that there's the outro of the season one finale about Tulip getting off the train and kind of getting back to more of her normal life. And I was kind of looking real hard to see, like, oh, this has to be another train car, right? It can't be that easy. This is, like, part of the test. Her number isn't really gone. But through that, I can see what you mean by it seemed a little neat. Seemed a little neat. Well, I think that's just because it is the first season. Like, it's setting up a lot. I completely appreciate that they had to get us into the world. She has a pretty easy lesson to learn compared to the things that we see later on in the show. I appreciate that they had to tell a smaller scale story than what they would eventually be ramping up to, but I still felt like I would have been more connected to those last couple episodes if they had done more setup and payoff. What I was talking about, like, with the onions is a great example. If that had come back in some way that allowed her to overcome something or remember something, I think it would have felt a little bit more triumphant to me. And then also, I felt like they really rushed too much to explain how everything worked. We didn't learn as organically as I would have liked to about the train over the course of the season. Those were just a couple of narrative disconnects that they then fine-tune in season two. I would like to talk about season two. Let's move on to season two. Well, actually, we didn't talk about Mirror Tulip from uh, book one, her introduction. I enjoy the idea of the mirror world, the idea that a person's reflection has a life and a consciousness of their own, and that on the Infinity Train, that person is able to be brought out of the mirror world. And in that mirror world, there are badass mirror cops that totally do badass mirror cop things. Ben Mendelsohn and Bradley Whitford, my jaw dropped when I heard their voices. I lost my mind. So perfect. That was definitely a big highlight for season two was this fugitive aspect with some of the most likable bad guy cops that I've seen in a while. Season two is so good. It's so good. Yeah, everything. The writing is so fluid. The characters are so likable. The humor is intact and weird and kind of out of left field, but in a way that isn't distracting like it is sometimes in season one, like they've kind of perfected that. I think more one one is my only gripe. I wanted more, (laughs) but I might be alone there, Garrett. I like 1-1. I would like the record to show that I like 1-1. I thought they used the perfect amount of 1-1. I was really excited 
for Amelia to show back up, and I was really hoping that was going to happen in Season 2, and it didn't. She's a character that I felt like had a lot more story to tell, and I thought that maybe her journey and Mere Tulip's journey had some similarities that I would have liked to see those characters realize. That being said, I'm glad that we have this whole new set of characters, well, not Mere Tulip or the Flex, but in general that we have this new set of characters to go on an adventure with, but that it's still definitively tied to the first season's adventure. That's one of my favorite aspects of this show is the anthology nature of it. Like, backdoor pilot, each season has an episode where, like, tell you what the next one's going to be about. Uh, Tulip meets Mirror Tulip. She gets, you know, gets to live her own life in the real world, and now we get to see that heartbreaking adventure. And that's the thing. I felt like the finale of season two, when Jesse goes and Mirror Tulip can't go with him, it really hit me. That was the big setback that I felt like the end of season one was missing. The connection that Mir Tulip and Jesse make throughout the season is so palpable and their chemistry is so good. A similar thing in season one is when the cat takes one one and Tulip has to go after them. I didn't really feel that connection the same way, <laughs> even though that's a very similar moment for those seasons and for those characters. Part of me just wants to give Mir Tulip a hug because she's just so sad and so much oh, of her life God. is so sad. A truly tragic character, no doubt. The ending of that episode in particular, because it doesn't just end with her, like, not getting to go with Jesse. It ends with her, like, right at the feet of the Flex. And then we get the great, almost Defiant Ones-esque episode where she and Ben Mendelsohn Fleck are stuck out in the wasteland. Right, they're cuffed together and trapped. But instead of a Defiant Ones ending where it's like, we're not so different, you and I, we have to team up to survive, just straight up she murder. She rushes him on the train wheels. My god, How that's cool is that, man? It's brutal. This is a cartoon, Ricardo. <laughs> like, fluid from his eyes and nose and mouth just splurting out like his... Freaking entrails are getting turned into goo. Love it. Oh, we also have Wayne Knight as the giant map room cloud guy. Yes, yes, we do. I thought the that really was a lovely little map guy. Oh yeah, definitely creepy. I love season two. There's not much more to say about it other than I was really impressed with it. What are your guys' thoughts on the introduction of the Apex? I do not care. Those are my thoughts <laughs> on the Apex. I thought it was interesting, a, gr- a group of passengers on the train that band together. Maybe not, like, Lost Boys style like they did it, but, I mean, you know, it was interesting. It's like the others on Lost. It's a fun <laughs> idea to, like, bring in those characters and have them cause chaos, but the second you try to put them in a main role, it falls apart. Is that a good segue into season three? During the Apex episode of season two, I was like, if this is the backdoor pilot for season three, I'm going to scream. I scream. Overall, I like them in concept. Them, like, misinterpreting the numbers. Like, oh, it's a number. Clearly, if it goes up, that's good. Like, on a personal level, as I was watching, it's like, I hate these kids. Like, they're all terrible, like, as humans. And I get that's the point, but I just don't like watching them. We're officially in season three now. Spoilers for season three. I think in order to fully articulate my thoughts on this season, I think I have to start at the end of the season. Okay. We get no closure on Hazel's story. I noticed that as well. That says to me that Hazel and Amelia are going to be the main characters in season four. But the thing to me was, the first couple episodes, I was really done with season three. Tuba, great. Love Tuba. Hazel, great. And I was like, okay, obviously Amelia's going to have to show up at some point because they're going to have to reckon with their false god. Whatever was going on with Hazel, I was intrigued by. And so when finally, in the last few episodes, we had Amelia coming in, we had Hazel, we had the death of Tuba, which oh. is the worst thing that happens on the show. Devastating. Yeah, it's it hurt. It hurt to see him wield. I was like, okay, we've got this whole story coming together. And then, nope, it's only about Grace. Amelia and Hazel, the two most interesting characters left on this show, are being taken out of the narrative, (laughs) and now I'm left with characters I'm not invested in and don't care what happens to. Well, that's all book four, Garrett. You gotta be patient. (laughs) But I really thought that Grace was gonna, like, go after Hazel and apologize and everything. And I mean, maybe that will happen in book four, 
But I was like, this is not a satisfying ending to the story that they've been telling. Because the other Backdoor pilot episodes have been one episode. But Hazel was like the whole season, and then she's just gone. Yeah, they kind of set up that ending with the rest of the Apex uh, with Grace is that they're going to maybe turn it around intellectually and morally with the new Apex, as the episode was called. I can only assume it's going to be some kind of redemption quest with Grace reuniting with the other two. I think, like you said, it didn't feel quite as satisfying to the ending of the story they were telling because it isn't quite the ending in a lot of ways and I think we'll see a lot of that come back hopefully in a better way in book four. This one was definitely about Grace and Simon. You guys want to talk about Simon? He's Chad Ronstoppable is what he is. Oh my god (laughs) maybe that's why I kind of liked him is that (laughs) Chad Ronstoppable I don't know, I thought the relationship with the cat that is with Simon, I thought they could have done that. I mean, I liked what they did. I wish they would have maybe explored it more with his distrust in Nulls, but he got the one flashback episode, and she got her one episode cameo again, and uh, maybe that was enough for the showrunners, but I feel like maybe the cat could have been even more involved this time around, and I feel like maybe that would have done it more for me. I was hoping for an Amelia-style, okay, this is what's going on with Samantha. It seems like Simon was a good avenue through which to do that, but alas. You know, we got what we got. Simon got uh, utterly destroyed at the last part, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, how does that compare to the the Mace death from book two? Well, that's Mace, that is the, Mace is the Fleck. Oh, um, right. Not nearly as satisfying because I wasn't invested in the character that he was antagonizing. Yeah. I, I was happy to see Justice for Tuba because <laughs> R.I.P. Tuba. Oh, uh, Tuba was a sweet girl. I truly was in denial all the way through the last episode. Yeah, like, right. Okay, we didn't Tuba, see Tuba Tuba's get gonna be killed. Down there. She's going to save Grace. It's going to be fine. Tuba's going to be back. Uh, I was like, Tuba's going to use their Tuba as a <laughs> rocket. <laughs> There is a fan theory that that, uh, that cockroach dog thing, you know how all the denizens can like turn into anything com- depending on like the orb? There's a fan theory that that dog thing was like a version of Tuba that's come back for revenge. You know, I don't oh, hate that. Oh, that's interesting. It's fun. It was satisfying for me just because in that I hated Simon so much just that I wanted <laughs> him to die. I will say... As a villain, once they get back to the actual Apex car and he's like Uber Simon with his new haircut and his like up to the neck numbers, I thought that was I thought that was getting more interesting of like true power trip new false leader type deal. I think either for me to have been really into season three, they either needed to start that sooner or they needed to take the Hazel storyline and follow it through. But they didn't do either, so, so it, yeah. it just felt disjointed. I, I, I think it's cool. Disjointed is a good word to use for it. I liked when, like, straight up murders Grace. Or at least he thinks so. Just the numbers go, like, from head to toe all over his face. Ah, uh, yeah. That, that was cool. That was... Mm-hmm. Maybe him rising to power halfway through, like you said, Garrett, might have been a little fun. I have a dumb nerd thing about the numbers. Okay. Do you accrue numbers and diminish numbers exponentially? Because think about when you get up to, like, a million. Like, just a million. Think about how long it takes to get to two million. And even then, the next time you add a digit is getting up to 10 million. So you go 1 million through 9 million, all those millions of numbers, and you only add another digit onto the end when you get to 10 million. So when you see characters get like four arm lengths of numbers at once, that's like trillions of points. Yeah, you know, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of arbitrary the numbers. It's just like do a super duper evil thing, get trillions of points. Do a super nice thing, get a couple mm. smacked off. I don't Mur- know. Like, Murder's worth a lot of points. I don't need everything to be explained. I know, and it doesn't <laughs> really matter. But it just kept bothering. Like, every time you would see Grace's go down her arm, I'd be like, so you just lost, like, a quadrillion points for saying something nice to Hazel? <laughs> Man, you would never make it out of the first car, Garrett. You'd just be staring at your hand, trying to figure out what to do. <laughs> I think we're about done talking about Infinity Train. I think so. I'm excited 
for hopefully there to be a season four. This is the Pop Culture Reference Podcast official endorsement on HBO Max renewing it, please. Yeah, if, is there a petition or something we can sign as fans to, to show support? Just get the word out there, man. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your mom. Ricardo, what if I told you that I had a multi-platform audio streaming <laughs> entertainment venue that is now featured on Amazon Music. And what if I told you... I wouldn't you, believe you, but continue. I was going to say, and my mom definitely listens, so there's one off the thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, guys, where is Riley? Ooh, boy. I think he is the new Simon. I think he's covered head to toe in numbers, just committing war <laughs> crimes in the Infinity Train. There's a fun game. What would Riley's number be? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want I don't want to go down that route without him here to defend himself. We'll have to ask him. He won't <laughs> yeah, understand what okay. that means. He sent me a sandwich emoji, so I think you can extrapolate with that means Seamus. I need to go raid him with my Jimmy John's crew. I need to apex his Beat store. Beat him to death with day old bread. There we go. He's always there. it's nine at night. He's been there. He's never not anywhere else. He's a hard-working sandwich man. The devil works hard. Wiley DeLuca works harder. <laughs> Lovely comparison. Now it's time for our pop culture reference of the episode where we're going to break down exactly how on earth HBO streaming works because nobody understands it for good reason because it's a stupid system that they have tried to make better but it's still confusing. As Seamus and Ricardo alluded to earlier in the episode, it used to be that there were two HBO streaming platforms. There was HBO Go and HBO Now, which sound like they're exactly the same thing, which for all intents and purposes, they are. HBO Go was how you logged in if you got HBO through your cable provider, and HBO Now was how you paid for it like a normal streaming service like Netflix. Why they did not start out as the same app, I do not understand. Then, when they launched HBO Max, there was a third streaming platform, so people didn't understand the difference between Go, Now, and the new one, Max, even though Max had way more content. So now, in an effort to avoid people getting confused, if you have HBO through your cable provider, or if you pay for HBO Max, you can just log into the regular HBO app. There's no more now, there's no more go, it's just regular HBO. If you also have HBO Max, you can log into the HBO Max app. So if you have HBO through cable, regular HBO. If you're paying for HBO Max, use HBO Max. It's a much simpler system. I don't know why it ever got so convoluted. It's really dumb. HBO lapped themselves in the streaming service race for some reason when it did not have to, but they're cleaning it up. They're cleaning it up. It was a good breakdown. I actually have HBO Max. I didn't know any of that. <laughs> I'm glad that they finally have started to make amends for their crimes against streaming services. I'll, I'll honor them by binging the Righteous Gemstones. Well, you want to save the rec center, guys? Let's do it. What do you got, Ricardo? I'm going to go with another HBO Max original while we're on the topic. We mentioned it briefly before, but the Harley Quinn animated series. It's, I think, my favorite DC thing to come out in a while. It's got such good interpretations of all your favorite DC characters, and it's so funny. Like, I've seen a lot of very intriguing promo stuff for this show, and now that we all have access to it. I think that your rec center here is pushing me over the edge. I think I'm going to pull the trigger tonight. It is very adult comedy. All kinds of like heavy violence and swearing. And... A lot of the people that are involved, I really like. And I've heard really good things. I know Alan Tudyk is the Joker. Yeah, who... and he's really good, surprisingly. Would not have pegged him for that. He's wacky and manic, but also can be very serious. I love him. He is a wonderful, wonderful Yeah, actor. he's fantastic. Um, Ron Funches as a King Shark, and whoever, uh, the name escapes me, but whoever plays Bane, steal the show for me. In appearance, it's like regular comic book luchador Bane, but he's got Tom Hardy's dumb voice. <laughs> <laughs> Good. That's very fun. Good. So he's always saying things like this. I'm going to blow up Gotham Stadium. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, I'll definitely check that out. Right on. I'm also finally going to watch Birds of Prey because it's on HBO. Me too. So, what you got, Shannon? This week was the 20th anniversary of a little film that really spoke to me growing up as a teenager. Almost Famous turned 20 this week. 
Cameron Crowe semi-autobiographical film about a 15-year-old boy who gets to travel the country writing a piece for Rolling Stone on a world-famous rock band in 1973, and it's just funny as hell. It's very touching. I hadn't seen it for a while since I was, you know, maybe like 15 or 16 myself, but it's 100% worth revisiting. Great music, very funny, great Philip Seymour Hoffman role. Sadly, you can't stream it anywhere right now on any of our uh, beloved streaming services, but if you get the chance, please please uh, revisit it. I have never seen it, so I think I'm going to have to get it from the library. I've always wanted to see it, and the stars have never aligned. I, I love it, man. I think... You know, I'll probably talk it up like speed until you one day just find it at a thrift store or at the library. Do yourselves a favor. Give it give it a watch. Garrett, what do you got this week? Well, I was going to recommend this no matter what today, but I was just on HBO Max during our HBO Max segment, and I saw that it got added to HBO Max today, but my parents and I red-boxed it, The Invisible Man, starring Elizabeth Moss. It's one of the only free pandemic 2020 movies wow that came out early this year i nearly forgot Um, about that movie it is a thriller about elizabeth moss escaping her abusive boyfriend only to discover that he is using the power of invisibility to continue to stalk and torment her jesus christ even though it's kind of a silly concept it takes the character and her trauma very seriously it's really really good it's really scary elizabeth moss is terrific she's great in it well i can only remember the invisible man from abbott and costello and the league of extraordinary gentlemen so this sounds like an insane departure from that kind of invisible man i'd be very interested speaking of the invisible man and franchises is this connected at all to the the dark universe no it is it is not dark universe at all there is talk that there might be some kind of follow-up sequel thing, but they're not trying to start another dark universe. It's not tied into the Tom Cruise mummy or anything like that. It's a standalone film. It's very good. If you've read the original book, there are some references in character names and things like that that you will get something out of, but you don't need to know anything about anything to see this movie. It's just a really good thriller. All right. All right, I think that about wraps us up, boys. This has been a fun little jaunt down the infinite train. Lovely. I'm going to ride, 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 ride the dinosaur train.